0: Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. This time we won't be getting barricaded by battleground Dylan Hughes, and we won't have them stepping all over our James Harden analysis. Isn't that right, Dylan?
1: Man, it was tough having to fight through all the noise yesterday. Um, obviously the two shining stars right here had to, had to make way for the rest of our, of our network. But yeah, uh, <laughs> You know, luckily things are back to normal tonight.
0: It, it really was, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased. It was one of the best things we've ever put out. Just truly phenomenal content on, like, truly legitimate, legitimately great content and legitimately hilarious content. Like we were talking about this pre pre show, Dylan, but you aren't gonna hear very many Jessica Simpson references in 2021. Like that was that was kind of out of left field. And that's 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 why we love Caleb.
1: Like I was saying, man, you got to find ways to stick out in this podcast world. And if you got to reach back to like the early 2000s, late 90s, man, you do it and you hope it sticks.
0: Dylan, um, we do have to start on a little bit more of a somber note this week because there have just been so many cancellations. And you kind of brought it up. You touched on it when we were talking about it pre-show because we figured we were going to have to talk about it. This is probably unavoidable, but just there's been so many games canceled. Like another game tonight, and not tonight, but a Saturday game between the Suns and the Pacers has been postponed. It'll probably start touching the teams we're going to cover. Like we got pretty lucky this week that none of our teams that we're doing. The Mavericks first game back this week was against the Charlotte Hornets, which we were covering. So we're probably going to start having games that we're covering gonna get gonna get postponed because of how everything that's going on and eventually dylan let's face it we're gonna probably pick a team that's gonna have you know have a COVID outbreak
1: yeah i mean it's spreading like wildfire right now and i mean damn this disease for taking away another mikhail bridges showing against the pacers man that's the real takeaway here but yeah it's it's uh it sucks and like When you really look back, it's kind of amazing the NFL didn't have more issues. I mean, they had issues in the beginning, and they kind of figured it out. And maybe that's going to be the same thing here because, like, we're not even a month into the season yet. So it's not shocking that it's happened this way. And, like, they keep switching around the protocols and the testing. So maybe they just need to figure out the right mix of things, and it'll start to – Um, fix itself, but like, see the difference between the NFL is you only have, you know, 16 games before the playoffs. So the NBA, I mean, they're already halfway to playing 16 games this year, or even more than that, whatever it is. So there's just way way more travel, way more interaction with people, way more airports, all that stuff. So I think it's definitely going to be a problem and um, it's going to be interesting to see if it continues at this level, I mean, at the level it's currently at, it's not horrible. But if it gets if it gets worse, then you know, it's uh, they may have to figure an alternative out or just extend the season. I don't know what their plan is, but they're not on a great track at the moment.
0: By my count, and this is not me—I should have probably researched this—but by my count, there's been about five or six teams heavily impacted by this: the Celtics and the Heat. I've had to postpone a couple of games each. I think the Heat are back playing, but the Celtics, I'm not entirely sure about. The Wizards are having issues. The Suns now are having issues. The Mavericks just got over their issues. Yeah, this is going to be a problem. And I, you know, again, caveat, neither of us are doctors. But I mean, I wish we were doctors. I could use that kind of money right now. But actually, no, I don't wish I was a doctor because that would be a horrible experience during a pandemic. I take that back, doctors. I respect the doctors, um, Hughes, but all seriousness, this is just going to be really shitty. And this is just going to keep happening because the NBA, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, they just want to get through this season and they are going to just throw. I mean, we saw, we didn't watch a nuggets game this week because they basically made the Sixers play with like seven guys. Tyrese Maxley played like 42 minutes in that game. I. He's a rookie. He shouldn't be playing 42 minutes in an NBA game right now. He just shouldn't be. And we're just going to see a lot of games like that, too, where they're just forcing teams to play with like eight guys in all scrubs. And it's going to be a blowout because, hey, the other team has all their starters and they can play normal rotation. This is going to be a weird season this season. So, Dylan, I think you'll agree with me on this. This season will definitely probably have more of an asterisk on it than the last season because this season this is where all the weird shit's going to happen and a lot of weird seating stuff right and I mean Toronto hasn't been affected by the virus but we're seeing it with the Raptors the Raptors are very clearly I mean yes Abaka and Gasol are huge losses probably very big losses but they're not playing in Toronto they're playing in Tampa and the other teams get to play in their home cities but it's going to be a lot it's Add the COVID stuff, this is a very weird season, and I'd say this season definitely the champion would have an asterisk way more than last season.
1: Yeah, and what the NBA has going for it, though, is that by the time the playoffs come around, these guys may all have the vaccine. So that that – and, like, I think the projections right now are, like, general public, like the people that need it less – which would be, you know, athletes in their 20s and 30s would be on the bottom of the totem pool pretty much. Um, but I, I think they're supposed to get it around, you know, late spring, early summer. So that kind of falls around the playoff range. So hopefully it works out because it would really suck if, oh, shoot, Anthony Davis is going to miss the entire series because of COVID, you know, something like that. Um, and... It You know, it even if they the thing is, like even just the end of the season, like playoff seeding, you know, which has a big impact on the playoffs that could be impacted, too, because a lot of these games are like, oh, Clippers and Lakers, the last day of the season. And if you have COVID for that, it could determine who gets the one or two seed or whatever, you know, it, it definitely could have a big impact. So we just have to hope the vaccine maybe gets a little bit ahead of schedule from where they're projecting. Um, otherwise it definitely is going to leave a big asterisk on this season.
0: So, okay. So we don't really get much into, like we don't get much into politics and like other life things on this show. And that's not because neither of us aren't vocal about it. It's just, this really isn't a space to express express political opinions. And in my opinion, I think Dylan would probably agree with that, but this, this could be construed as a political question, a societal question, So they're not using – they're distributing vaccines right now, right? And they're throwing vaccines away. Would you, Dylan, have a problem with NBA players maybe getting the vaccines that they're not using, that they're just
1: throwing away? Well, I think they're throwing them away because they're not usable anymore. I don't know that much about them, but is it – one of them has to be refrigerated at like an extremely low temperature – I think that may be part of the reason they am throwing them away. Again, I don't know everything, every detail about it. I don't think they're just willy-nilly throwing them away. Like, I think they're throwing them away because they're not usable anymore. So, I, even if you just gave them to whoever, um, like NBA players, I don't know if they would actually be effective. But, again, I don't know all the details of it.
0: This is This is my opinion. I think – so, first of all – they should be forming like massive lines, right? In general, just to mass vaccinate people. I understand, you know, they want to control it, but this is like literally, this could be the difference between life and death for a lot of people. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, though, in the event that they are throwing things away, if you know you are going to throw it away, why not give it to the NBA? Like before, like you say, okay, We aren't going to possibly use these before they get thrown away, right? Like we just, it's getting really close to the expiration date. Why not say, hey, let's just say the Knicks, right? Hey, Knicks, do you want to get this vaccine ahead of the line? Because we're going to throw, we're not going to use these vaccines anyway. And you need to vaccinate. Let's just say they're throwing away 30 vaccines. That's about a traveling party size during the COVID restrictions. I mean, would you be opposed to that? I I guess that's
1: what I'm asking. (laughs) I mean, I would be surprised if that is who they turn to, you know, like as much as we would like to see athletes get vaccinated early, like in the grand scheme of things, they don't, they don't matter. Like, I mean, everyone needs to be vaccinated and will at some point or for the most part at least, but again, like healthy young people are, uh, I don't think that's who they should turn to if. And again, like, I don't know how effective these would be if they're close to expiration or whatever it is. Um, I would imagine if they were going to be like, hey, like we're throwing these away, someone take them and we'll see what happens with it. Like, I would imagine that's still going to go to someone that's a little bit more vulnerable to the virus. So I personally would not be okay with that. Um, But again, you know it seems like celebrities and famous rich people get benefits that the rest of us don't. So it wouldn't shock me if uh, something like that was going to happen.
0: I just think that we have to prepare for the possibility of it happening. And some of our friends in baseball might, let's just be real here. The NBA is very image conscious. They are a hundred percent care about good PR, right? I'd say they might care about good PR more than other things, our friends at the MLB might be a little more brazen about it, right? Our friends at the NHL might be a little more brazen about it. I, I would agree with your point that I would rather it go to people who need it first. But I think that if you aren't going to use them and you can't... Like, you just are feasibly have no ways to get them to people. I don't think it's the worst idea. I don't know. It's, it's a really heavy moral argument because... You could. I don't think there's a right answer here like I think you're right and I think I could be right too I don't think that there's 100% a right answer here I like this requires a lot of nuance and that's not <laughs> nuance isn't great for podcasting but we can't just approach this like a bunch of sports cavemen we have to be fucking people about it and I Dylan I think you agree with me when I say there probably is no right answer to this question <laughs>
1: Yeah. And like the end of the day, you want everyone to get vaccinated. So if people are getting it compared to just throwing them away, you can't get too mad at it. But I guarantee if the NBA, (laughs) because people got mad at the NBA during the bubble for using all the tests um, that could have been going to other people. And I mean, that's a very fair reason to get mad. Like if, you know, and, you know, I know me and you were happy to see the league come back and we got some, you know, good podcasting out of it and all that. But really, like, they probably should have just canceled the season. And especially if it was going to cost is what it did, which was a bunch of tests and all of that. So, you know, there's, there's, like you said, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And, I mean, if people are getting vaccinated, you can't be mad about it because they're going to get it sooner or later either way. But, again, like, if you have the choice, give it to these people's dads and not them. You know what I mean? Like, give it give it to someone a little bit more vulnerable to getting the virus. Um, but, again, we'll, we'll see. Because, like you said, it could be a possibility. Um, and it, it wouldn't shock me if it happened.
0: And I will say, we both live in Indiana. I don't know about you. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know when I'm getting this vaccine. And it's very, like the clarity hasn't been there. And I think if we had a little more clarity, we might be able to talk a little better about the situation, but like, I know right now they're vaccinating all the old people in Indiana. That's all I know. I know the first three phases are just vaccinating 80 plus 70 plus and 60 plus. And that's, I think that's literally all they've unveiled on their website. I don't think they have any other information. And that's, it's generally speaking a problem. Like this is very serious. We need, we need the information. Like, And the lack of transparency is frankly concerning again. Oh, fuck it. I'm getting political. Just like we need to demand better from our politicians. Like we need to know better. We need to know stuff. It's important that we, the public know stuff because let's face it. We're two out of seven or we're two out of like, how many people live in America? 330 million. I mean, 330, 330 million lives are on the line. Like we need to have better transparency, and it makes me sick. There's like, I don't know Indiana's population offhand, but it's like five or six million, I think. That's a lot of people. We we just need better transparency, and it makes me sick. But let's let's move on to basketball, Dylan, because I'm getting angry, and I like to be happy. I like to be happy.
1: Does that sound good with you? That sounds great, man. I I have enough politics uh, on a daily basis, so yeah, it's and, and enough coronavirus in general, so.
0: I felt like we needed to address it because it's a lot of a lot of cancellations going on. But just, like we hope I'll just say personally, before we move on, I hope that these players don't develop like that heart condition that's being developed, because that sounds really fucking scary. Like yeah. the, that Red Sox pitcher, I don't remember his name. I think it was Rod, something Rodriguez. I don't remember his name fully. He developed a heart condition and it was like, that's scary. We don't know. Like, I still feel like we're so in the dark about this virus. All we know is COVID is bad. That's that's basically, I feel like the extent, like you could read into it, but I feel like you get a lot of different information on it too. So I hope all these guys that are catching it are okay. And I hope they aren't passing it on to their, like, we had guys last, last playoffs, Dylan, like before the bubble, they opted out because they wanted their kids to, you know, be healthy. And now, I mean, I don't know what's going through Avery Bradley's mind, right? But Avery Bradley opted out before the bubble. Now he's back playing again, and you know, good on him. But like, I could, I fear for like the people's kids. You know, it's just <laughs> real talk. Like, it's really scary. And I apologize for the very serious at the, very serious stuff at the beginning because I don't like going here personally. I feel like if you want to go here on your podcast, feel free, right? But it's, that's not really the vibe of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. This isn't the Alex and Dylan. Politics hour? That doesn't. That doesn't sound anywhere near as good. It's. It does not sound like ADPPH. No, no, ADBPH all the way. Um, <laughs> Dylan, let's let's get into the basketball. Um, thank you if you made it through that and are on the other side. I'll timestamp when I don't normally timestamp because I don't normally put in the effort for that. I'll timestamp when we start talking about the basketball. If you just want to skip ahead to that, but I felt like we needed to touch on it. So, Dylan, we're talking about the Denver Nuggets first because. The Nuggets intrigued, I would think it's safe to say, the Nuggets probably intrigued both of us the least this week as much as the Thunder maybe suck. So let's get into the Denver Nuggets. So the Nuggets this week, they had they had a pretty hectic week, actually. So they played, the first game they played was against the Dallas Mavericks where they lost 124-117 in overtime. That was a really fun game. Uh, they beat the, the beatdown 76ers. 115 to 103. They beat the New York Knicks, 114 to 89. You'll see a common theme is beat the New York Knicks this week. Very, very common theme because all three teams, all three of our teams played the Knicks this week. And then they lost to the Brooklyn Nets in a heartbreaking 122 to 116 loss. So Dylan, what are your grand takeaways so far from the week of the nuggets?
1: So the two games I watched most intensely um, were the Nets and the Mavericks games, which were both slim losses. And, you know, I couldn't help but think during it that they were a Michael Porter Jr. away from winning both of those games who they didn't have because of all the protocols and stuff. I don't know exactly what's happening with him. I haven't really looked into it, um, but I know he missed both of those games. And the problem with the Nuggets this year is they don't have very good depth. So, losing Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, and Torrey Craig in the offseason, which we, we knew coming in was going to be an issue. Um, and right now, I mean, their bench is really tough. Like, so you got Monte Morris, who is very good. You have Jermichael Green, who is very good. So those are your two guys that you can rely on. Um, PJ Dozier, I was watching him to try to figure out what his best attribute is. And I don't think I've ever said this about a player, but the I think the really standout thing about PJ Dozier is that he's just really good at making reverse layups. And, like, that's really I, all I can come up with for him. Because otherwise, I don't know. He gets the ball, he puts his head down, and he goes to the rim. And he doesn't do much else. And he's not necessarily bad at that, but, you know, you would like to have someone that's a little bit more well-rounded. Um, so he's he's a bit of a black hole. Um, Bull Bull, who started against the Nets, I mean, they had three forward start with – they had Millsap, Jokic, and Bull Bull all start, which was pretty fascinating. And, man <laughs> – I know Bull Bull is probably still like two or three years away, but he, every time he's on the floor, he flashes potential, man. Like he, he's, I mean, there's times where he's dribbling up the floor. He's, he's hitting uh, threes coming off a a pin down. He's making nice passes. He's uh, blocking shots. I mean, the dude is thin as hell. And like watching him guard KD was, was really, uh, atrocious. Like he, he tried, I'll give him credit for that, but he failed miserably and he, he got taken out after a few KD buckets, but they, they just kind of struggle, um, with depth right now and not having Michael Porter Jr. Certainly hurt. And for that Nets game, I think Gary Harris was also out, which just compounded their issues. Um, so, I mean, like, this is a team we know pretty well. Like, we saw them go into the playoffs deep last year, and we watched a lot of them and talked about them a lot. Uh, I mean, they have Will Barton back compared to last year, so that's helped a lot. I think it was the Nets game where he went off. One of them I, I one of them I watched, he went off. I think it was that Nets game. He just could not miss from three. Um, so, you know, that, that's nice because – you know, Jokic can only do so much. And Jamal Murray, who's been good, he still has his games where he's iffy and isn't hitting shots. So it's nice to have that other um, scoring option. But for the most part, it's still Jokic having to do a shit ton of work. And in that Mavericks game, they he was um, in foul trouble and sat for a lot of the second or third quarter, one of them. I think it was the third quarter. And then he ends up coming in the fourth quarter and scoring 17, and pushes the Mavs to overtime. Uh, the Mavs, of course, ended up finishing them out. And shout out to Maxi Cleva, man, for for knocking down three threes in the fourth quarter at the very end. I mean, what a stud! And sadly, he has contracted COVID, but uh, we we pray here uh, that he comes back stronger than ever because that is that's one of our guys for sure. But, you know, again, it's it's a lot of Jokic heavy lifting. And it's not that he's not getting support around him. It's just that the, the depth is, is a little bit worrisome at the moment.
0: So, one thing I noticed in that Mavericks game, though, is that Jokic missed a lot of free throws, right? That was one of the things, you know, I, I actually took notes this week, Dylan Hughes. I mean, <laughs> look at me. I'm doing my goddamn job. But... He was four for eight from the free throw line in that quarter. He, he could have had 21 points, right? He probably wouldn't have hit all of them, right, in a, in a realistic world. But he was four for eight from the free throw line. That's not that's not typical Jokic, and that probably ended up costing them the game. Now, he did hit the – he did hit – he just is so good at creating space. That shot he hit against Colley Stein is ridiculous. And I don't think it's a stretch to say he's probably one of the – three best clutch players in the league he just can create anything he wants in crunch time he's just like i pass all game now here's my jump shot boom i will destroy you in crunch time he is so like he's like a robot in crunch time and he just always makes the right decision he is i mean what what is there left to say about Jokic that we can't we haven't already said but just i feel like as a crunch time guy he is an extremely underrated um, the rest of the team leaves a lot to be desired. I think Jermichael Green's been a great fit for them. And if you added him to the team last year, I think that they may not get over the hump, but I think they give the Lakers more of a series. This team with Jermichael Green replacing Jeremy Grant, I don't think that's it. I think Jeremy Grant is obviously better than Jermichael Green. I don't think either of us would dispute that. But Jermichael Green's a good player. And I think that if you added him to the team last year, that's a lot better team than than the team, like the that really good Nuggets team. The depth is just killer. And they got to really hope they hit on RJ Hampton. They got to really hope they hit on, like, Bull Bull, I don't think is ready yet. I like the Hartenstein minutes, but, I mean, barely, not really. Losing Plumlee, I think, is a bigger loss than I think people are going to realize. I'm not saying Plumlee was great, but he was – I. I don't think it's a stretch to say he was the best backup center in the league last year. Like he just came in and yes, my critiques of Mason Plumlee are frequent. I think he shoots way too much. I think people overrate him as a passer severely, but he was a a really good defensive player (laughs) and he just, he knew what he was doing. He knew where to be. He was, he had really good chemistry with Monte Morris. And I think the team last year was just a lot better and losing I mean, losing Grant and Plumley, you probably could have predicted this, but I still think it's. <laughs> I just I had a thought cross through my mind: what if one of Jeremy Grant's conditions of signing with the Pistons is like, you have to give Mason a contract? I will not come to Detroit unless Mason Plumley signs with the Pistons. What if that was what if that was one of his conditions? <laughs> I'm so evil. I'm, I'm so evil. But they're just really missing that bull ball. I. I don't think he's ready yet I mean he's he's just a walking like like not like a stick of butter but like a walking stick of just potential like he would stick potential like potential on his forehead right you could tattoo that on his forehead because that's that's basically what he is that Composo guy is not it he's too short and he's not (laughs) he's not as good as advertised um I mean Millsap is Millsap at this point. He's going to make your defense better, and he's going to probably make your offense a little worse. And Gary Harris, um, (laughs) they got it. I I know he he didn't go to the same high school that you went to, if I'm correct. But he's still a Fisher's boy. But I think it's time it's time to move off of Gary Harris. I I just think that you could maybe find equal defensive production with a better offensive player. I don't. They need to upgrade. This is evidently clear they aren't going to win this way because Jamal Murray Jamal Murray is the third option is going to be great Jamal Murray is a second option I don't I don't think that'll I think the team just isn't good enough
1: if they don't trade for Beal this year I'm just done I mean like what how many years do we have to say it and like they're losing guys to trade I mean like I wanted them to trade him or trade for him when they still had Beasley because I thought Beasley and, like, Porter Jr. and maybe some salary was, like, enough. And Beasley's gone. Harris is worse. So, it's like, you know, you could try to package him and Porter Jr. and, and see what happens. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And, like, to be fair, um, you know, the the Wizards don't have as many trade options now. Because I thought Brooklyn would have been a good spot for him. And really I hate to say it but like they probably should have traded him for him over harden like because again I it may sound dumb, but I think getting rid of Jarrett Allen is gonna be a huge problem for them like their defense is gonna be atrocious and I know I know they're gonna trade Kyrie they just have to so like we'll see what they get back for him um but I mean that that team is far from complete in my mind at least. But I don't know who else would trade for Beale and, and there's always someone that pops up. Uh, you know, things change throughout the season. Maybe there's a team that decides that they, they're they ready to contend and they, they can provide him a better home. But I don't know. I mean, it, it's Denver has made sense for at least two years now. And after what they did last year going to the Western Conference Finals, I think now is the time for them to pull the trigger.
0: They – it just – it makes too much sense for them not to – they need another scorer. And so, okay, we were talking about this pre-show, right? They need basically a unicorn, right? They need a guy who can make threes and can block shots. And they're like two of those guys in the league. I mean, three if you count our boy Maxi Um Chris Staps and Miles Turner. And neither of those guys are available. Like the only way I could see them getting – Chris Stapps is for probably Murray. I don't, I wouldn't give up Murray for Chris Stapps as much as I think he would help their team just because of the injury risk. But I, it's tough. Like the problem with Denver, right. And this is something I was noticing watching the game. When you is guarding the pick and roll, he doesn't ever go down. He's always up high. And that means the rest of the back line has to be perfect. <laughs> and with this, this Denver team, they're not always perfect. Gary Harris and Paul Millsap are two really, really smart players. There's no denying this. They are probably two of the highest IQ guys in the league, especially Millsap. Millsap, has, Millsap would not be in the league this long, as long as he's been. He would not have blossomed in like year six like he did if he wasn't one of the highest IQ players in the league. But I, they just – Millsap can't really get it done for you on the other end, neither can Harris. The, they have two glaring weaknesses, and that's extra scoring – which Porter Jr. would probably fix. And defense, which Porter Jr. definitely would not fix. <laughs> and they just need they need a unicorn and I don't maybe Bull Bull can become that, but he's not that right now.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking at cleaning the glass and and they allow the highest percentage of makes at the rim. And like that doesn't surprise me at all because I mean Jokic has never been a rim protector, but They don't exactly have incredible wing defenders anyway. I mean, Gary Harris obviously is a good perimeter defender, but outside of him and Millsap, you know, you have some holes. And if you're not able to funnel guys that are going to the rim at a good rim protector, they're going to make shots. Like, it's it's not rocket science. And so far, that's what's been happening. And... I mean, as we talked about pre-show, like, Denver's starting unit is so good offensively that it doesn't matter as much. But, I mean, if you look at these two games that we're focusing on, Brooklyn and Dallas, like, those are teams that you need to – like, those are teams that you're going to compare yourselves to. Like, those are the the top-of-the-league teams that you need to figure out a way to beat. And both games, they did not beat them. And, like, Brooklyn, it wasn't like you're having Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan-KD, like, go off at the rim. I mean, I think Bruce Brown had like two or three layups at the towards the end of that game that really closed it out for him. Like that that those are the kind of problems you really have to shore up. Otherwise you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself offensively. And again, they have an insanely high ceiling offensively, so it's not like they can't outscore teams, but if you have to rely on yourself to make shots every night, it's gonna wear you down and you're not gonna go as far as you want in the playoffs.
0: Like they're five and six right now. And they have a plus three point differential. That doesn't square. Like, <laughs> the problem is KD... Oh, man. KD absolutely tore them the hell up in the, at the end of that game. They, I mean, obviously, it's KD. Who has guys that can guard KD? But they have no one that you could even, like, do a reasonable simile of a job on KD. KD is just going to eat their lunch every single possession. He is that good. And they just... They have to fight fire with fire. And the problem is, I mean, Jared Allen did a pretty good job of guarding Jokic in that game. And that's pretty much the only firepower that Denver has. It's pretty good firepower, but it can only do so much. Murray, I mean, I think it's safe to say that him falling off of what he did in the bubble is kind of predictable. He had never been that consistent before in his life. And we all knew he was super talented. He just never could be consistent on a game-to-game basis. I think the no travel really helped Jamal Murray. And I think that now that they're back on a regular schedule, he should average 20 points a game. He has potential to average 23 points a game. I don't know if he'll get there. And I think that's going to, (laughs) like... The problem with Denver is like these in the grand scheme of things, like if they were just like a fine regular season story, these are just nitpicks. But they're not just a fine regular season story anymore. They made the conference finals last year. We have to talk about them seriously. And talking about them seriously means having to pick apart their flaws and hoping that they play Utah in the first round again. (laughs) It's like and they can't beat they're not gonna beat the Clippers again this year, because part of the reason they beat the Clippers was A, Paul George was just Paul George and Kawhi were both horrendous, and I can't see that happening for a second postseason in a row. Um, And then Jeremy Grant was such a big part of their playoff success, like a huge part of their playoff success. And they – I know that losing Jeremy Grant wasn't 100% their fault. They could have tried harder to keep him. I mean, i just maybe try harder because that guy was so huge for their team last year, and he's just gone now, and you don't have a starting small forward. I guess – no, he was starting at small forward last year. I mean, I think that Jeremy Grant is a huge loss for them, and I think that they're not going to be able to recoup it unless they make a huge trade, and I just can't think of any. Maybe they trade for Tucker, but this, this is the thing about P.J. Tucker. You could put him on a lot of teams, and it makes sense for all the teams except for L.A. and maybe Portland, because Portland, I just don't think he would be a particularly great fit there, but – I don't think Tucker would fix all their problems because Tucker's not tall enough on the back line. Like that's the thing about Millsap, right? Millsap was such a game changer for the Denver defense, and now he's aging out of it. Like he's been in the league. Paul Millsap, I think this is his fifteenth or sixteenth season, if I'm not mistaken. He's been in the league for a long time now. And TPJ Tucker was probably in the same draft, but he bounced around. He's not. He's not as like old as Millsap is, but he's. I just think that their holes can't be fixed in during the season and their window, they have a window and I don't know. I just don't know if they'll ever get the chance to compete for another finals.
1: Yeah. And see, here's their problem. So we talk about a third score and we talk about defense. They, they need a third score more than most teams, because again, like you don't know who Murray is going to be on a night to night basis. Like, if you look at his game log, so he has a 36-point game, and a few nights later, he scores nine points. Like, so 36 against Minnesota. A week later, nine points against the Knicks on five, on nine shots. So, like, you, you just don't know who he wants to be. And, like, the good thing this season is he hasn't had those atrocious shooting nights except for – The very first game of the season, he was one of nine. But, like, you know, the first week or two, you kind of give them a break. And, like, he, thus far, he's been fairly consistent shooting percentage-wise. But there's a lot of nights he just doesn't put shots up. I mean, like, seven seven shots against Minnesota, 11 against Philly, nine against the Knicks. Like, you can't have that as, like, the second-best score on your team. And – so, you know, then you just go down the line. It's like so you need Will Barton to score 20, you know, and he can, but you're not going to get that every night. So then, then you're at a point where you have to rely on your defense if you can't uh, if you can't consistently get scoring out of your top scorers aside from Jokic, then you got to fall back on something else to keep these games close. And they don't have a good defense. So unless they're able to somehow improve one, one area, one of those areas, if they can improve one of them, they're probably fine. Like if you can get someone like Beal, then, you know, you, you have a lot more margin for error. Uh, Or if you can get someone like miles Turner or whatever, uh, they can shore your defense up, then that's good. But you got to fill one of those holes. Otherwise they're going to be a second round out. Yeah.
0: I don't think there's anyone on Denver's roster that would be appealing for the Pacers. Like, no, cause there's, there's no way they're not a Michael Porter jr. Team. And they never, ever, ever, ever will be <laughs> like just yeah. everything involved with Michael Porter jr. They want no parts of that. And by the way, we're talking about Michael Porter jr. This guy just apparently went AWOL. He's been missing for like the last three weeks he got, cause he got COVID, which, um, I'm not trying to remark too much, but just based on his personal statements in the past, not particularly surprising. That's all that's all I'll say. But like they could really use Michael Porter right now just for an extra like 12 points off the bench. Like because that extra 12 points can make a difference. And they're just not they're not really unless they add Beal, I don't think you can consider them a contender this year. I I just I can't see it with them because This is the problem with the Nuggets. The Nuggets operate like a small market team. Again, the window, very finite. You need to win now. They should not have let Plumlee go. They should not have let Malik Beasley go. The Malik Beasley thing is looking terrible in retrospect, right? Because they're like, oh, we don't want to pay Craig. We don't want to pay Jeremy Grant. We don't want to pay blah, 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 blah. He was a restricted free agent. (laughs) Could have just waited out the string and just let him... Let him sign because he probably wouldn't have signed as big of a contract if he was in Denver. So, like 12, 448 for Malik Beasley, you would like that right now if you're the, the Denver Nuggets, and they kind of fucked themselves over because they're like, "Oh, we need to save money on the luxury tax. We need to save money on the luxury tax." And this is how teams fuck themselves at a title contention. If you want to win, you need to spend in the luxury tax. There's no other way around it. Like, there's just no two bones about it. Ah, it just is so frustrating because the Nuggets. <laughs> The Nuggets, I think you and I both loved them last playoffs, and we, I mean, it's eleven games into the season. There's a lot of time to bounce back, but I think it's fair to question if they will.
1: Yeah, again, it's a long season. We'll see, but man, like this is not the Eastern Conference we're talking about. You know, like the Western Conference, man, it's tight. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to see one of those top dogs mm-hmm. take a step back. I mean, Portland, uh, Phoenix. You know, like Houston after the Harden trade, they're they're still a playoff team in my mind, or they're they're in that race. San Antonio. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that would love to make the playoffs, and uh, or would love to at least jump jump up in the standings. And if Denver is gonna keep this up, where they're just where they're just trying to score 130 points, you know, it's those teams behind them are going to start salivating a little bit.
0: I mean, can we just talk like real quick? Jokic is just averaging a fucking triple double. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. He, I mean, like we've talked about him a lot, especially after last playoffs. I mean, he's you know he's put himself up in that top that top one or two tiers of guys in the league. He's just he's just insane. Like he he does everything. I mean, we were worried about him slimming down and becoming you know not beastly enough i mean he's still the same guy he was he's just a little bit thinner like he i mean he the the shot making like we always talk about the passing but like like you said like that's that shot he hit against the mavericks at the end of overtime or the end of regulation i mean who the hell hits that shot like he doesn't jump and yes you know he's seven foot tall um but like he's just mastered the ability of of creating space and like in a way that doesn't rely on athleticism at all, like he just kind of shimmies himself to space and just hits insane high arcing ass shots. And sometimes it's like a twenty foot jump shot. Sometimes it's like some he hit like a Hakeem the Dream type of uh, uh, sky hook uh, in that game too. Like he, he, it's always something. And his his shot making is insane. But again, like I I just worry that he's never going to have that uh, second or third banana that he really needs to get to uh, where he deserves.
0: Yeah. And I really don't ever want Jokic to leave Denver, but the conversation might need to be had because he's like, he's legitimately, you know, top player on a title contender. I mean, I know you have to make so many like adjustments around your roster, but like, I know Sabonis is having a great season, but if you put the Pacers roster around Jokic, are you telling me that isn't an instant title contender? Like that roster would, it's like tailor made for him. And obviously if you're the Nuggets, you wouldn't trade, you wouldn't dare trade (laughs) Jokic for Sabonis. But like, if he had the Pacers around him right now, I don't think that, I think that they're probably the best team in the East, even with the new I mean, you could debate whether Brooklyn's the best team in the East. I think they are, but it's tough. And by the way, we're 40 minutes into this pod. Um, We we alluded to the pod earlier, but yesterday, if you're looking for hard and trade reaction, um, go check that out. Cause that was really a great pod. We talked about how great it was, but we didn't say what it was about, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which isn't great promoting by me, but well, you'll see how great my promoting skills are at the end of the, at the end of the pod when it comes to Dylan's book. Um, I think we touched on everything. We spent a lot longer on the Nuggets than I thought we were going to. Let's go ahead and move on to the Thunder cuz the Thunder have been that they a really fucking fascinating team. So, they had the Knicks on Friday and they won 101 to 89. They played the the Nets on Sunday and they beat them 129 to 116 with KD. They lost to the Spurs on Tuesday, 102 to 112, and then they got their shit kicked in by the Lakers. 128 to 99. Um, Dylan, this team is confusing. Like, do you think that they should just trade away George Hill and Al Horford and just totally embrace the tank?
1: Yes. Like, Al Horford, especially, raises them to a level that they have no no, uh, need to be at. Because, like, man... Watching that Lakers game was just hilarious because putting poor, poor Isaiah Roby, a six, eight guy at center, or I guess it would have been power for it. I don't know, but he was guarding Anthony Davis. And um, let's just say that Anthony Davis had himself a nice little game. (laughs) I mean, you know, shout out to him for trying. And I actually think they had uh, Basley on him too at times. And (sighs) Again, like, basically, he's growing on me. Like, last playoffs, he showed some flashes, but otherwise I thought he was kind of kind of iffy. I mean, he was just putting up a bunch of wide-open bricks. Like, he, he wasn't really doing it for me, except at times. But this season, he's really showed a nice little um, ability to score off the dribble, and I think he's going to turn into a pretty reliable scorer at some point. But on defense against Anthony Davis, it's not great. It's not a great effort. So, and if that was Al Horford, it would have been a much different story, of course. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's funny looking at this roster because it's like George Hill and Al Horford really stand out. Like, aside from Mike Muscala, everyone else on this team is just young and kind of getting their feet wet. And those two guys, you know – for sake of trade had to, had to make their way to Oklahoma city, but they're, they're gone at some point. I mean, trading Horford's tougher because it's hard to, it's going to be hard to find a team willing to take a center for 30 million. Like it's not like it's an easy trade to work out
0: with two years left on his contract after this.
1: Yeah. And like, I would say at this point, he's probably already rehabbed his value. Um, like, it's not as much about him not being worth $30 million, even though he's probably not. It's more just about who is actually going to put up the money. Because if you really look around the league right now, it's hard to think of many contracts that are just awful. Like, I, I think leagues have gotten – or teams have gotten smarter and they're not handing out ludicrous deals like we saw in, like, 2016, for example. All 2016 like, deals expired last year. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have any Joakim Noah, uh, Timothy Moskov type of deals. Sorry to disrespect your man. How dare with- you,
0: Phil Hughes?
1: Hey. It, it hurts me because two of the terrible
0: contracts in 2016 are handed out to two of my my two absolute favorite players of all time, and it makes me sick.
1: God damn it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very happy for Joakim. I, I'm very happy he got the bag, um, and I'm very happy the Knicks gave it to him. But... <laughs> You know, we we know we know that the uh, the market value is a bit off in that, so we we don't have that as much. I mean, the only the only really terrible contract that I can think of off the top of my head is Tobias Harris and uh, Al Horford. <laughs> Al Horford. I don't think I don't think uh, that's a trade Philly's looking for at the moment. You don't think so? <laughs> no, I would I wouldn't say so. But you know, who knows what the hell Daryl Morey wants to do? Um, so, you know, it's going to be tough for them to move off of him because like the teams that you think of, like the Kings at one point, we talked about getting a center, but Richon Holmes, like he's a starting center. Like there's, there's there's no reason for them to trade off of him, um, or at least to replace him in the starting lineup. Uh, the wizards, they need a center, but they don't need a good player. Like they're. I, I'm sorry that like I'm sorry for Westbrook and, and Beale that they're that they're as bad as they are. But and we already had our Beal discussion.
0: <laughs> well you you threw out yesterday on the pod. You threw out yesterday on the pod where you would send Andre Drummond to. The Wizards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I wouldn't put Andre Drummond and Al Horford in the same category. Let's just say that. I, I don't think Andre Drummond would help the Wizards winning percentage uh, too much. Although he's probably better at this point than Robin Lopez. But the fact that it's even a discussion in my mind says how I feel about Andre Drummond at this point in time. (laughs) So we'll see what happens with Al Horford. I mean, I would like to see him move. But at the same time, like, he's not going to make them good enough where it's going to really hurt them. I mean, they're going to be end up being one of the worst teams in the league. So it's it's fine. Uh, George Hill, much easier to move. Would be shocked Mm -hmm. if he's not moved. Would be shocked if he's not on the Clippers. Yeah, that's like literally a perfect fit. I mean, I it it makes too much sense to not happen, which, which means probably means it won't. Means it won't. <laughs> I mean, hey, what if Kyle Lowry makes his way to LA? You know, I, that's not possible. But I I want it to happen because that that hey, would be perfect. It's not possible if you're that negative. But <laughs> touche, my friend, touche. Listen, sometimes you got to work your manifestation magic and we'll just get the the Toronto Clippers together and they'll win a, another title. and It'll be very exciting for everyone.
0: I'm sorry. I can't just walk away from my phone and manifest Carousel Mert to the, to the Pacers. I, I can't do that, Dylan Hughes. I, I'm sorry. You, you have some kind of superpower that I don't,
1: apparently. Yeah, maybe I'm the one that needs to work on Lowry to the Clippers and, hey... I'm just saying, you want to say it's not possible, but Paul George, um, I think, would enjoy Toronto quite nicely. <laughs> um, You're evil. So, so anyway, so Shea Gilders Alexander has been good lately. Uh, I I love watching him because he just does the same moves over and over. It always works. Like he gets into the post, he'll pivot a few times, he'll pump fake. The guy will fall for it, and then he just ducks under them with his 15-feet-long arms and get an easy shot at the rim. And, like, that's that's just kind of the the basis of how he plays. His shot, you know, is still not there for the most part, unless he's wide open, because it just takes so damn long for him to get through his motion. Um, but the potential is still flaming hot for him, so that's good. I just laugh when I watch Lou Dort, who, who like – I don't want, like, I love him, but like, just like you, or I at least like him. But it's just funny because it seems like his confidence in his shot wavers throughout his shot. It's like he pulls up, not sure if he should pull up. And then he just puts it up and he's like, oh, yeah, I should have put that up. And it's like, it goes in. I mean, I, I think he's the worst good shooter in the league, maybe. I don't know. Like that, <laughs> when I was watching him, I'm like, that's just kind of what I think. Cause it's hard to say he's a good shooter or a bad shooter because he doesn't look like a good shooter, but the shots go in a good amount of time. So, you know, shout out to Lou Dort. Uh, he's, he's, he's growing on me for sure. And the guy I really want to talk about is Hamadou Diallo. Oh yeah. (laughs) So this is what, when we were doing our pre uh, pre pod discussion, this is what I'm thinking. I think he's what I wanted Zaire Smith to be mm-hmm. like Zaire Smith coming out of the draft was one of my favorites. I really wanted him on the Pacers because he was just so intriguing at Texas tech. Like he, okay. So in his high school, he was the small, he was the tallest person on his team, despite being like six, four or six, six or whatever he is. He played center for that team. And he developed all these big man skills. And if you watched him at Texas Tech, he was always around the rim because that's what he was used to. And despite being a guard, he was always at the rim. I mean, it's just funny if you go back and watch like he's boxing guys out, like he's doing stuff that you would never expect a 6-4 guard to ever do on a consistent basis. And like, he's one of the best jumpers in the league. So he's, you know, he's at the rim and he's competing with guys for rebounds. He's getting lobs all the time because he's just such a great dunker and has these big man skills. And I'm like, and I just saw that. And like, I just thought he had the potential of being such a great off ball player. And unfortunately to this point, at least it hasn't worked out. I hope the right team takes a flyer on him because I, I mean, the potential is there for me. And a lot of these guys, that get drafted by Philly. I mean, if you want to look at Marco full, it's like, I don't know if it was their player development at the time, but there's always some crazy shit that happens to these Philly draft picks. like whether they stick around or not. I mean, Simmons and a both had it too. Like all these guys go through something. And it's a good thing.
0: Mikhail not, Bridges didn't go there, I guess.
1: Yeah. I don't think he would end up being the way he is. Uh, but yeah, like, Zaire Smith just hasn't really had a fair chance, but this is not about Zaire Smith. But the point is that Hamadou Diallo, I think, is the same type of guy. Like, he's around the rim a lot, and he's very explosive and such a like good leaper that, I mean, he's, despite being his, you know, his guard size at 6'5, 200 pounds, I mean, he's always at the rim, always going for lobs, and he's just so exciting. And he's, He's a great off-ball player, and that's what he kind of came out as. But his ball skills are getting a lot better too. Like he's he's driving to the room with the ball and scoring. I mean, he's shooting 63% this month on nine shots a game, uh, averaging about 15 points and five rebounds. Like he's 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 pretty good. And he's he had two 20-point games back to back. He had 16 the next night. And then last night he had nine uh, in just 20 minutes. Like he's, I mean, there's a lot of good prospects on this team. And SGA is probably still the best, but Diallo is really exciting. And I, I think he's someone to watch out for.
0: So, I, you know, basketball reference has the field goal percentage by distance. <laughs> you want to guess how many Diallo's <laughs> percentage, zero to three feet from the rim? His shooting percentage or how many shots yeah. he
1: did? The shooting percentage. Uh like low 70s, probably.
0: 77.5. <laughs> you want to guess how what percent of his shots are coming at the rim?
1: Uh probably
0: 60. No, that's too high. 43. Okay. But if you wanna <laughs> if you wanna do the paint, that's about sixty percent of his shots. Yeah. He is – that dude is a dog. I love him. Like, you just watch him, and he stands out. And this season is going to be perfect for him because he's not fully developed yet. I, I think both of us will – like, he needs to work on his ball handling. He needs to work on his shooting. But just the way he plays and the energy he plays at, he could be a 15-point-a-game scorer just off pure energy. And I love that. He is going to be – he is so entertaining, like, to watch just in general. I have – I had Al Horford's um differential pulled up. Do you wanna guess what Al Horford's differential is this
1: season? <laughs> you know, I meant to look it up cuz I knew it probably was stark, but I never got around to it. So, so hit me with it. 11.0.
0: Yeah. Plus
1: 11.0. <laughs> that sounds good. about right. I mean, when you have Mike Mascala as your backup, that that definitely helps. He is
0: Horford is a floor raiser rather than a ceiling raiser. And the the Thunder's floor, let's be let's be clear here, is not very high, <laughs> um, even with Horford. But they're fun. This team is a lot of fun to watch because that – poke. hold on. I had his uh, – I'll have to go back to the page. But I have to remember, Alexei Pokashevsky. That's right. That kid is – he is not good at basketball yet, but in two years, I bet you he will be great. That guy dribbles – he moves like a guard and he block shots like – like he's he's crazy. He is averaging he's averaging one point two blocks a game in sixteen minutes. He is chucking five shots a game in that time. <laughs> like imagine you're out there for sixteen minutes and you're shooting five shots. you you let's do the per thirty six. For a full game, that's eleven shots a game. That is too many for a rookie who's shooting twenty six percent for the field. But it doesn't matter. He is so much fun. That guy is just like, I want to see him like thrive, right? He's, I want to see him handle the ball more. He had a really nice in and out crossover at the free throw line. I mean, it was a missed jumper, but there's like the way he moves, he's so fluid. I love, I want to see this kid grow. I'm going to be watching out for him the whole rest of the season. Um, Shay Gild, like, Shay has been really standing out to me. Like, I wasn't sure because he, Shay wasn't really good in the playoffs last year. I wasn't sure what. He would do after that, but he's come back and all the defensive attention is on him. Let's be clear here because they're not, I mean, teams as good as they are, they aren't scared of George Hill and Horford. They're scared of Shade. He's still putting up, he's still doing so well. And I just appreciate like how he's attacking the rim, how he's not afraid. Like, he's clearly not afraid of all the attention he's receiving. (laughs) He's shooting 48.8% from the field (laughs) on 15 attempts a game. That's pretty good, Dylan. That's pretty good. I think I love the way he's attacking the rim. I just, I love everything he's doing out there. He's playing great. Lou Dort, Um Also, I'm probably going to have 30 guys on this team by the end of the season, but member of the honorary McHale bridges, all stars for me. Um, just love the way that guy plays. He's like legitimately great. This team. <laughs> if they get like Cade Cunningham or like that, they would be a perfect team for that Mobley kid out of USC. I don't know if you've seen him, but he's like, a mobile seven footer who can shoot I think that it's not unreasonable that they could probably be contending in like two years time like for a playoff spot this team has a, a loads of potential loads of it like the Roby kid is looking good from what I've seen the Maladon kid I haven't really watched him intensely but he's looked fine I mean they just have so many young players and they're all looking good <laughs> like none of them none of them suck Except Pokashevsky, but he's going to get better. (laughs) He's going to get better because that kid is just, he's ridiculous. Like I said, he looks like Jay Skeets with NBA Jam bobbleheads. If he had an NBA Jam bobblehead, but I don't know. I love this team. I think, oh God, George Hill, George Hill and Al Horford are too good for this team and they'll get traded. I, I don't know about Horford, but George Hill will get traded and make, you know, make a team better. And I and Dylan, do you have anything else to say about the Thunder?
1: Well, I do have one important question. So if we put 2023 Pokachevsky on Denver right now, are, are they making the finals?
0: I mean, yes. <laughs> what I have in store for this kid, he is going to be, he's going to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. That's just, just plain and simple. Okay. He's going to be him and Bull Ball on the same team. I mean, my God. Jokic, Jamal Murray, Bull Bull, Michael Porter Jr., and Pokashevsky.
1: It just screams screams finals run. That's all I can think of.
0: (laughs) I think, like, even if Pokashevsky isn't as good as I think he is, like, it's still an interesting flyer to take a pick 17. Like, it's still, you know, and that's what the Thunder, they have so many first-round picks. They could just fucking take flyers. It doesn't matter. They're going (sighs) to... If Houston sucks this year, and I think that there's a good chance that they might, they are going to have Houston's first-round pick. And I think Houston's first-round pick is only top-four protected. So let's just say let's just say they're even like a mid-lottery team, right? Like they pick like eighth or ninth. In addition to their own pick, which will probably be in the top seven, that's pretty good for, especially for what appears to be a loaded draft class. I think that the Thunder right now, as crazy as it is, I've been railing against the draft picks, but the way that their team is playing right now, I think that it's they're in a pretty good spot, all things considered. I I just think that that's the case.
1: Yeah, when I was watching the Lakers game, I was just, it's going to sound dumb, but I was just thinking, like, if you put LeBron on this team, and, like, obviously LeBron is going to make every team better, but, like, I just, it just, I think it would be really fun because of those, like, they have the perfect roster for you to just put someone like LeBron on and for them to just be mm-hmm. good right away. Cause there's a bunch of guys here. Like, again, like if, if Dialu had an in like a top tier creator next to him, I think he would be just insanely good. Cause again, he is so good off the ball and so explosive and quick. I mean, again, like if he gets his, if he gets his uh ball handling under control, Again, like you said, he's going to be a 15-point scorer at least because that dude has an insane amount of potential. And I liked him coming out of the draft. I think he ended up being a second-round pick, didn't he?
0: He was the 45th forty-fifth pick in the 2018 draft.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I liked him as like a late first type of guy in that draft because I, I liked him in Kentucky a lot. I thought he had um, – really nice potential and and he's even exceeded my expectations so like you said if they get Cade cunningham or one of these top creators in the draft i think right away next year like they're not going to be a playoff team probably but they're going to be very interesting because there's a lot of potential like if you really look at their entire rotation and again like kenrich williams i like a little bit like he he's He's not great he's fine yeah he's he's a decent backup um, and then your guy, Pokashevsky, Diallo, uh, Maladon, who I haven't watched a ton of either, but like all of these guys are interesting. You know, you don't have a spot that's just awful. Like even Mascola, like at least he makes threes. He stretches the floor for you. So like, if you put a really good creator, uh, next to Shay and all these pieces, I think they're going to be interesting pretty soon.
0: If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to pull up the box score, but I think the game that they played against the Nets, Muscala might've went off from three and you were talking to, we talked last week about the Nets. Um, it's funny. We keep having the teams that we watched the week before, like just pop back up on our schedule. No, it looks like Muscala didn't play, but I remember one of the games Muscala was like five or seven from three. And he's like about due for a couple of those. Like Muscala is not great, but honestly as like the center for a tanking team. If he was the starting center, they would, achieve their desired goal of losing all the games. But even, (laughs) even then, like, I think that the team is still Horford making the team competitive is good for them because then they'll have like, you know, they have two vets who know how to win right between him and Hill. And I think that's a good thing for them. I think that really, really, and truly Shay is in a great spot because he's learned from the best of the best at this point. Like other than no, he's had nothing but great vets around him his whole career. And that's going to continue and like, think about three years into your career and he's still surrounded by like phenomenal vets, right. On a supposedly shitty team. I think that Shea's going to be in a great spot. Lou Dort. If he keeps like, if the shooting percentage holds, Oh my God, he's going to be one of the, he's going to be one of the 50, like most valuable players in basketball, just because of his shooting in his defense. Like that's, it's legitimately going to be the case. Cause he's going to be able to shut down guys like Harden and Luca, right? Like he's going to be like the best test for those kind of guys. And, this Thunder team was super intriguing. I'm I'm glad you picked them, Dylan, because this this is a good week to do the Thunder because I could see things going a lot worse from here. <laughs> um, they're playing the Bulls tomorrow, which I mean should be a win. But Sixers, Nuggets, Clippers, Clippers, Blazers, Suns, <laughs> Nets, Rockets, <laughs> Rockets. That's um their next few games after the Bulls. That's not a that's not a stretch where they're probably gonna win very many games.
1: And you know that's what they want, but uh we like to see some winning and we got a little taste with the Lakers. I mean, I didn't watch the fourth quarter for obvious reasons, but we, we got a good, uh, a good little taste of what they got going on. And, and uh, now we can bid them goodwill on their losing streak. That's upcoming.
0: That's right. They're going to, I mean, but it'll be worth it because I mean, as long as they keep building winning habits, then that's, I guess that's all that really matters, right. For the season, they don't need to build like, you know, they don't need to win like 45 games this year. They just, i they weren't going to do that anyway. Whatever the equivalent of 45 in a 72 game schedule is. But um, I think we're done with the Thunder. So let's go ahead and move on to my favorite team in the NBA. My Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets, they had a interesting week. So I think I say that about every team, but they really, they went three and one for the week. They beat the Pelicans one eighteen to one ten. They beat the Atlanta Hawks one thirteen to one hundred five. What was my favorite game of the season? I'm not going to lie to you, Dylan. That was the most fun I've had watching basketball since the bubble. Um, they beat the Knicks one hundred nine to eighty eight, and then they lost to the Mavericks last night one hundred four to ninety three. Um, Dylan, do you, How do you feel about the Hornets so far? How do you feel just about the team in general? I guess I'll start there.
1: Well. I was pleasantly surprised this week. And I think, I mean, I think we started the week off with that Pelicans game and that was like, wow, like there's something here because see, I didn't like the guy we've talked about all week's LaMelo ball. Mm -hmm. And that is someone that I came into the draft, not knowing much about the fact that, you know, the stuff we've heard, you know, obviously there's all the ball family stuff a little bit of bias in that maybe. And when he was playing over in New Zealand or wherever it was, Australia, you know, he was chucking threes and not playing defense, which is mostly what he's done in the NBA to this point as well. But his passing is insanely good. Like, so he was the youngest player to have a triple double. That's something to talk about, you know, like he's, he's, Already having that kind of an impact on the game. And you know, if you look at the raw numbers, like it's not great. So like he's shooting 40% from the field, which most rookie guards do, like, let's be Mm -hmm. honest. Even Karis Levert, who we've talked up a bunch, if you look at his shooting percentages, not good. Like, not as good as you would expect. Like young guards just have trouble doing efficient things. Like it's just it takes some time. And he shoots a lot of threes as well. Like almost half of his shots are coming from three. I actually looked it up earlier and I think it was 80% of his shots were coming from three and at the rim combined. So he's like the perfect modern guard. Like I'm surprised Daryl Morey didn't trade the house for him uh, because that that's his type of guy. But the passing is really the really what should be talked about the most because it he never makes a bad pass really like he, even if it's just a nice little simple pass, like there's there's always someone open his in his mind, and those are the guys you love. It's like it's like LeBron or Chris Paul, like they're like the good quarterback that can get the good receiver open. Like that's who you want, and that's what he's done so far. And like he runs the pick and roll seamlessly, which I mean, for for a guard that's going to be drafted third overall, I guess that's kind of the bare minimum. But it's at least good to see that that's something he can do really well um and again like there's a lot of chucking going on his three-point shot is is uh is needs to be tweaked a little bit um but so far i'm i'm a fan of Lamelo, and and i think he's probably gonna end up being the best ball brother unless hey we haven't given Leangelo a great shot yet so and we have the pistons to blame for that for just did signing him and they I we have mean the blame? Dude, uh you know, maybe maybe the week they had him was enough. I don't know. I'll have to call up uh my boys up in Detroit and see what's up there. But call it Troy Weaver. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I got him on speed dial, of course. Um, but you know, maybe LiAngelo makes a run at some point. But what I've seen from Lonzo at this point, I mean, again, like it's the beginning of the season. It's it's a team that doesn't really fit him that well, his play style. So maybe I'm blaming him too much. But from what I've seen from Lomelo this, this point, he is very good. And as we've chatted about throughout the week, like there's no one on this team to hate. No. I mean, all of their guards are good. Like – Devontae Graham hasn't shot great, but, like, we know what he can do. Terry Rozier is somehow proving to be worth that contract, which I never thought would happen. Uh, I mean, I've loved P.J. Washington since the draft. I called him a more modern David West, and I stand by that. I think he's awesome. Uh, Miles Bridges was also a big fan of him coming out of the draft. The Martin Twins, that's a name. Those are names to watch out. I mean, they're, like, the same the same guy. They, they, they do pretty much the same things, and you don't know who the hell is doing what, but it's one of them, that's for sure. And uh, we'll have to check in on them and see if they have a shared bank account like the Morris Twins did <laughs> because someday they're going to get paid, and I'm excited for them for that. But, yeah, like this entire rotation is is pretty exciting. And, like, as we were talking about pre-pod, even Bismack Biombo is, like, kind of fun. Like, he he fits in with this group really well because they just pass it so well. They're leading the league in assists. And when I saw that earlier, I was not shocked at all because everyone on this team damn near is a good passer. Like Gordon Hayward really developed into a really good passer in Boston, and he's carried that with him. All these guards can pass. P.J. Washington can pass. Like everyone that's getting significant touches can move the ball, and you can see it. And I think that's why one of the reasons they're so fun to watch is that they always are moving the ball and the more you move the ball the more open shots you get um so let's let
0: me touch on lamelo first because lamelo is obviously if you're talking about the hornets you are going to fascinate on lamelo ball <laughs> listen he's a rookie <laughs> He's gonna average. He's gonna get his turnovers. He's gonna, you know, shoot poorly from the field. He did. I will object to he doesn't throw unnecessary passes because he did throw one unnecessary pass, and that was to Miles Bridges at the end of the, um, of the Hawks game because they were he was at nine assists and he wanted ten, and I think he threw it. I think there might have literally been 0. .6 on the shot clock when the ball ended up in Miles Bridges hands. Like he and Bismack Biyombo reamed him after the game, and to me that's a really great sign because by all accounts, Bismack Viambo, like Bismack Viambo, for those of you who don't know, who haven't listened to our early insanities, Bismack Miambo is kind of a punchline because <laughs> Bryce Bryson, Bryson Shaddy and Zach Griffith just kept repeatedly saying his name, but he like by all accounts is one of the best guys in the league and having him and Zeller on the team for veteran leadership is huge because I, I mean, I don't know how Gordon Hayward is as a vet, but you know, if you have those two guys on your teams as the vets, I think you're in a great spot. Um, Zeller has only played one game, and I think once he gets back, that'll be huge for them because they are desperately lacking in size. Like that is their main problem right now is that they are one of the smallest teams in the NBA, and is leading to a lot of great ball movement and stuff. But the <laughs> the rebounding, they're the um what the third worst team in allowing offensive rebounds in the league according to Cleaning the Glass. So that's not pretty but the way they move the ball in offense and the way that they have their hands up constantly in the passing lanes. So I'm on basketball reference, okay? Cody Zeller is averaging three steals a game, but he only played one game, so that doesn't really count. Um, Devontae Graham, 1.7 steals a game. Lamelo 1.5. Rozier, 1.4. Hayward, 1.3. Washington, 1.0. Miles Bridges, 0. 0.8. Caleb Martin, 0. 0.8. <laughs> Cody Martin, 0. 0.5. That's a lot of fucking steals. They are so active in the passing lane that helps make up for the lack of the center. And obviously, yes, when you gamble, sometimes you'll lose. But P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges' big man lineups have been doing pretty well. Actually, let me go ahead and pull the lineups back up. But just the way it looks on the floor, those guys are doing really well. And, yeah, let's see the lineups. So Graham, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, and Washington is plus 23.6 in 66 possessions. Um, Graham, Rozier, Hayward, Bridges, and Biombo. that's not doing as well. Rogier Ball Hayward Bridges in Washington plus sixteen point seven, so like Washington is doing great playing center for this team. I love Miles Bridges. Oh my god, I love Miles Bridges. I love the way he plays. He's so like he's such a high flyer, and that's the other thing with this team too. They're liable for a couple dunks that make your head go <laughs> like just absolutely insane in that horn in that Hawks game. Miles Bridges and I think it was Caleb Martin. One of the two, I again, it's hard to tell which one is which. They look exactly the same. They're twins. Um, They had two explosive dunks. And that's the thing. The Martin twins are fun to watch. They're so good. Like this team, honestly, Dylan, if this team was around, like, in this iteration of the team with every player where they're at, if this team was around five years ago, they'd have been a probably, <laughs> like, the league would have been like, what the hell is this? Why are all these guys playing so small? And they'd be outscoring everyone. And now everyone's knows the trend, but man, this is just such a, such a fun team. And we haven't even talked about Hayward. Hayward's looked great. Like he's just such like a, a calming presence for the team. Like LaMelo had a, like a touchdown pass to Hayward for, and Hayward just is like, instead of taking it to the rim for, to maybe get blocked, he just shoots a short fade away. And it's just like little things like that help the team so much. And I think that Hayward's been, Hayward's probably playing like, like an all-star this year. I think Hayward, like if we were doing all-star teams, he'd be on the all-star team in the East. He's been that good. And we do have to talk about the elephant in the room though. And that's, um that's Mr. Devontae Graham. He has not been as good this year. And I think it's a product of having too many cooks in the kitchen. The starting lineup of Graham, Rogier, Hayward, Washington, and Biambo. They're currently right now minus 16.9 on cleaning the glass with an anemic 94.1 points per hundred possession on offense. It's not getting it done, and I think Devontae Graham had unlimited freedom last year, and he... (laughs) With how many ball handlers they have, he is not going to have unlimited freedom this year. And I think the logical move is to move Lamello into the starting lineup and let Devontae run the sixth... and run the second unit as the sixth man. It, It literally just makes too much sense, because Devontae doesn't have enough opportunities to handle the ball. He's passing really well. He's averaging six assists a game. But they just... He needs... The threat of Devonte Graham last year was that he was a great shooter off the dribble, and he just isn't doing any shooting right now. Like he is horrendous in all shooting aspects of the game, and I think that would be a lot better if he was coming off the bench.
1: Yeah, I mean it makes too much sense because, like, again, like you said, last year it was a different situation for Charlotte, uh, but like right now, I mean Devonte Graham's type of player is always going to come off the bench. Like a small guard, they can they can handle the hell out of the ball and shoot the hell out of the ball. Those guys just end up on the bench because they're always going to be undersized. They're always going to give up a lot on on the defensive end, and you want them out there scoring, but you don't want them in crunch time, you know, just bleeding points. Um, so putting Melo up there would be really fun because obviously you get the size. Um, you know the shooting, like the shooting, is not going to be great. But just the passing and the size. I mean, with Lamelo playing more minutes, they're going to have a lot more transition. Which this is a team that's going to thrive in transition because they just pass the ball so well, and, and there's all a bunch of a bunch of good athletes on this team. And you know, giving giving Lamelo more time would make them a lot more fun. Uh, And to the P.J. Washington point, you know, we've talked on this podcast about how we're getting a little bit annoyed of the undersized lineups because some of these teams are just getting too cute with it. But I don't think Charlotte's getting too cute with Washington Mm -hmm. at the five. Like he he's legitimately a good five and he shouldn't start at the five, but he's definitely someone that can hold his own for as long as you need him. And the offensive benefits they get out of it, too. I mean, like, they run the hell out of the floor. And, they, again, you just have a bunch of quick athletes on this team. And Washington at the five opens up a lot of stuff for them. So uh, I'm excited to see them run more of that. And I'm also excited for Zeller to come back for rebounding but also for screening because mm-hmm. he's, he's one of the best screeners in the league. And he's always the guy that's up there with, with screen assists. And you basically have three guards in this on this team that are getting you know close to thirty minutes a night. They can all handle the ball and shoot off the dribble. And you have Hayward too, who's a good ball handler. So having someone out there that can screen like him, and not to say Biamba is not a good screener, but Zeller is just is just top tier in that regard. And having him out there to help free this team up offensively even more. I still think they have. Uh, more to show us that we haven't seen yet.
0: EJ Washington is the exception to my rule because he is definitely hold. Like, like I said, they're giving up a crazy amount of offensive rebounds, but the way they're having to play defense with Zeller out, it's understandable because they're, again, they're gambling so much. Lamelo is not good at boxing out yet. Like he grabs a lot of rebounds, but he is kind of like Russell Westbrook where he is not attempting like and. You know, he's a rookie. Hopefully, he learns playing with Bismack. Um, Bismack and Cody Zeller, because those guys will hopefully get it into him. But their best lineups have been... Like I've been saying, their best lineup is probably <laughs> LaMelo, Rogier, Hayward, Bridges, and Washington. That's crazy. <laughs> if I told you a year ago that would have been a, like an effective lineup, you would have looked at me crazy. First of all, you'd be like, why the hell is LaMelo in Charlotte? But... <laughs> All seriousness, Miles Bridges is rebounding his ass off. He is playing so well. I again, Miles Bridges fan club. I love like he's we, we gave Mikhail Bridges a lot of love last time. This is the Miles Bridges love pod, god damn it. He is so like so energetic. He is <laughs> he is not a great basketball player. That's why I love him. Cause he's flawed, but he plays he plays like a superstar, even <laughs> in spite of his flaws. And that's he takes too many threes, probably. But I mean, let's see shooting. Let's see shooting from three this year. He's shooting thirty-nine point five percent from three this year, on three point six attempts a game. That's pretty good for Miles Bridges, shooting forty-four percent from the field. He's just doing everything that the that the Hornets are asking him to, and being the he's six six. He shouldn't be doing this well at Power forward, but he is, and I think that he's doing a real bang up job for them. He that can't be right. He's only playing twenty five minutes a game. I guess he's coming off the bench but between him and Washington and Biambo and Zeller I think that's a really good front court I think that it's not a top front court in terms of I'm talking about forwards and small forwards because the way that they play basically all three of their guys are guards except Hayward Um, I think that in terms of big men I think you could do a lot worse than that foursome
1: yeah and I love Miles Bridges too I liked him coming out of Michigan State a lot and he actually stayed an extra year too, um, which surprised a lot of people because he could have came out after his freshman year and he would have been a lottery pick. Um, and I believe he still ended up being a lottery pick. So good for him because usually it doesn't work like that. Usually, guy, yeah, he was pick 12. Usually, the guys that go back end up fucking themselves. There was a guy from. It was – I think it was it was a different Justin Jackson than the one that's on in the league right now. There was two. Maryland? Was of, yeah, the Maryland Justin Jackson was going to come out. He was going to be a first-round pick, and I think he was actually being talked about as a lottery pick. And I don't know what the hell happened to him. He went back to Maryland, and he was either a second-round pick or undrafted, but I haven't heard his name in a long time. And and there's a lot of cases like that where guys go back and it just does not work out the way they planned. Um, so good on him for that. But Miles Bridges had sixteen rebounds in a game this season. And obviously it was an outlier, but that's just a testament to what you're saying about his energy. And again, like he's not extremely talented. I mean he's he he has his moments, but he's uh he's still a little bit raw in some regards and he just makes up for that in effort. He plays his ass off, and he's he's really fun, and I think he's a perfect fit for this group.
0: I think what the this Charlotte team is is just, like, the perfect high energy. Like, they play for each other, right? And Lamelo's still a rookie, so he, like, we've seen <laughs> – and this is not a knock on, I guess you would consider it a knock on Lonzo, but Lonzo kind of got in his own head. And I hope that doesn't happen to LaMelo because he has potential to be like a legitimate superstar more so than Lonzo, I would say. And I hope that just none of this gets to his head and he thinks like, Oh my God, I'm so great. I'm having triple doubles at 19, but he is, (laughs) I just, I think I love the way this team plays and you brought up the passing earlier. There was one play from LaMelo. I was watching the Mavericks game before we started today. And one of the Martin twins back cut and he just hit like he threw the pass. Right. And, you know, the pass is supposed to lead the guy to the the rim. (laughs) It was a bullet pass right under the rim. And it hit Caleb. Martin. I'm going to say it was Caleb. I'm not sure if it was Caleb Martin, but it hit Caleb Martin right as he was getting there. And it was just like a beautiful back cut pass. And it's like, oh, my God, you can execute this pass. You're going to be good for a long time.
1: Yeah, and, like, that's that's the thing that's so – and it doesn't take you long to see – to, like, kind of be in awe of him. Because, again, like, that game against the Pelicans was the first time that I really saw him, like, besides highlights. And to just see him in that – in the game, like, in the, in the motion of the game, making these passes at his age – it's, it's really exciting about his future. And, you know, as, as I said at the top of this segment, there's still a lot he has to work on um, in pretty much every other area. <laughs> but from, from the passing standpoint, I mean, that's a great building block. And, like, at the very least, we're going to walk away from this season uh, knowing that he's probably, like, a top-ten passer in the league. And, I mean, that's a pretty damn good start. So, if if he can get the scoring in order, um, and, you know, you don't expect guards to be great on defense. So, like, his steals is probably good enough. Like, staying in the passing lanes and not falling asleep on your guy, that's really what all you have to do is a guard in the NBA anymore. So, if he can get the scoring efficiency up a little bit on top of what he can do as a passer, he is going to be very good for a long time.
0: And – so the defensive rating for the Hornets actually, which is interesting because we've been talking about the interesting defense they've been playing is actually currently and basketball reference has seventh in the league in defensive rating and 22nd in the league in offensive rating. That being said, Dylan, do you think, do you think that the Hornets should be in the playoff game, barring a catastrophic injury?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I mean, I think we – I don't remember what we said in our preview pod. I would like to say we gave them a chance. I'll
0: put mine up real quick.
1: But I know that they they have risen the bar a little bit from there. And it helps that both Toronto has sucked and Orlando has two of their four best players out for the season. So they're probably not going to make it. Washington is not as good as we hoped. So – I mean, especially with the way it is now with the playing tournament, I would be I would be really surprised if they they weren't in that. I'm pulling up. Uh, when
0: did we do the Eastern Conference? Oh goodness, this is gonna be fun. Open when we did the Eastern Conference NBA signings. I don't remember. Um, I think I had them playoff game like ceiling seventh seed, and then floor. I don't know, 12, but I think they're going to finish way better than 12. I just don't see them.
1: I feel like I had them seven, between seven and 11. So that's pretty much the range right there.
0: Where? Okay, I'm going to do owned by me. It's,
1: I mean, I didn't see this
0: coming. (laughs) I did not see the team being (laughs) this good already. And... I think that there, there's nowhere to go but up from here, frankly. And I think that this team is going to be... Like, Rozier is a fucking revelation. You were talking about, like, him actually living up to the contract. But he's never shot this well in his life. He has never been this good from the floor. And he is just a dynamo on offense and defense. And, like, he's probably, like, the sixth player that stood out to me when I was watching them. Like, that's how good this team... Like, how that's how... I wouldn't say this team is traditionally deep, but they've got just athletes upon athletes upon athletes and I think that's a huge advantage for them. Even though they are on the smaller side. <laughs> Cuz let's let's just go through their heights real quick. So, Hayward 6-7, Rozier 6-1, PJ Washington 6-7, LaMelo 6-8. LaMelo their tallest player, there's absolutely no way. Devontae Graham 6-1, Bridges 6-6, 6'8", 6-8, Martins 6-5. And then that's the pretty much the guys that play. And then Zeller is seven feet. So that'll add some much needed size. Um Yeah. I love the Hornets. This week was one of the I think this is the most fun of any of my teams that I picked so far. For sure. Um anything else on the Hornets before we gotta go?
1: Well, you know, I'm just looking at Rosier. His So his points per, sh- per shot attempt, which is a great way of measuring efficiency. It's like, you know, points mm-hmm. scored basically per 100 shots. And it is uh, it is basically risen every year of his career upon the last. So he started off at 60.9, which needless to say, worse than the league. <laughs> um, and slowly he got up to 91, 102, 101, 112 last year, and then 123 so far this year. So that just shows, and you can see it in the effect of field goal percent too. He's up to 58%, which among combo, combo guards is 80th percentile. So, I mean, you know, again, it's early and like maybe it drops. And I think it's mostly being carried by his three-point percentage right now, which is 43%. But like you could make the argument too that he's just getting better looks because these the passing. Like mm-hmm. again, when you move the ball, if you watch basketball long enough, you see it there's always a guy that ends up open every single time. If you whip the ball around enough, someone is always going to be open because that's just the way defense is it. They they rotate on passing, and there's always someone left open. And with this team, you know, Rozier has never been – like he's been a decent three-point shooter for a few years now, but – when you have Devontae Graham and and some of these other guys next to him, you're going to – you're probably going to prone to leave him open more than some of those other guys. So, he's – I mean, I'm sure he's getting a ton of open looks right now and he's knocking them down. So, uh, I'm pretty happy that for him – because, I mean, everyone dogged on that contract. Like, you know, 19 a year for him after what he you – know, I mean, he had, a, he had one good season with Boston when Kyrie was out the next year sucked. And then he got that big contract. It it was surprising. We, we criticized Charlotte for being dumb, but so far he's making them look pretty smart.
0: And I'm on the cleaning glass page and this is by far his highest two point percentage of his career. Just is not even close. He is shooting 50. It's still not great. (laughs) No, but I mean, the fact that he's hitting 50% of his twos is a great sign. And I'm really glad for Terry Rozier this whole team is really fun um shout out my Charlotte Hornets um using the skip Bayless thing there but I think that's gonna be everything for the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour this was a journey Dylan Hughes I, I feel like we we did a lot on this episode um go check out Dylan I keep forgetting the name of your goddamn book and say the name of the book and then I'll get on to my throne of violence
1: From one young soul to another and let me
0: let me tell you this okay. Dylan Hughes, you, you appreciate my escalating threats of violence, and I appreciate it. Um, I will rip a hole in your soul mm. if you don't buy this book. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Buy the goddamn book. I, I'm I'm not asking. I'm threatening. Buy his goddamn book. And you're
1: also doing an accompanying YouTube series, right? Yeah, I started it tonight. Um and you could look at it as an alternative to reading because, you know, not everyone wants to read, even though it's it's only about 50 pages. But uh, I, I don't I don't read straight from the book. Like I kind of just give my account of each chapter. So I'm going to have there's nine chapters. I'm going to do nine videos, one per chapter, kind of laying the story out in a little bit of a different way. So it, it can be something you watch on its own or it can be something to accompany the book. So. That'll be on my Twitter uh, at by Dylan Hughes. You can go ahead and check that out.
0: You don't need okay. This is this is what Dylan just told you. Okay, you don't even have to buy the book if this if Dylan's view if Dylan's views on his YouTube videos don't have fifty by Sunday, I'm gonna rip a hole in your soul. That's that's just, oh, just oh, the fact of the matter. <laughs> just the fact of the matter, Dylan Hughes.
1: You know, I need to. I I just need to keep you around for as long as possible, and everything <laughs> I do. It, everything I release, whether it's a YouTube video, an article, a book, you're you're my promotional guy, and you're gonna walk around with some sort of weapon. And <laughs> if pe- if people say no, they're getting swung upon, and, and that's that's just something you have to appreciate. It, you know, you know what? When you go to your book signing, okay,
0: this is this. I'm gonna bring a mace. You know, you know the big the spikes, <laughs> the ball with the spikes on it, and the stick. Oh yeah. I'm gonna bring a mace, and i'm gonna wear i'm gonna wear like knight's gloves right because then i could just tap it on my hand and not scratch my fingers because that, that, that would probably hurt but i'm going to hit you with it if you do not consider buying Dylan's book like you don't have to buy it but just look at it like look at the back cover see that see my signature on there you know promoting the book saying it's a wonderful book um,
1: <laughs>
0: um <laughs> and obviously got a bunch of other great pods on the running hook network, but first heavy pockets. I want to make sure I promote all of Dylan's stuff because you, it's really an honor doing this with you. And I just want to make sure that we get people reading your stuff if they do happen to listen. So I just, I really, really go check out all of Dylan's stuff. You know, I won't threaten violence this time, but I will next time Dylan's honestly great. And it's wonderful that he's gracing us with his presence on the network, but other pods on the network, Lynn sanity, um, They'll be out with a week, the first playoff preview and the a review and then the next week playoff preview. Came, it's coming out a little late in the week, but fuck it. Time is a flat circle, as Matthew McConaughey would say. Um we got the triple option pass. They'll be back relatively soon, recapping the national championship game and doing coaching searches. Battleground will be back next week. Everyone loves the Battleground. Who doesn't love the Battleground? Battleground infiltrated our pod last night. If you missed that at the beginning of the pod yesterday. Um, and then Circle City Cinema. I'll be on Circle City Cinema watching the new Marvel series WandaVision. And I believe that is everything. Dylan Hughes, <laughs>
1: thank you so much for joining me. You know, before we go, okay, this is perfect timing. I get a beautiful notification from a beautiful website called Bleacher Report that – Something extremely shocking has happened, and by shocking I mean completely expected, that the Purdue Boilermakers have won at Assembly Hall. I mean, what a beautiful way to end a beautiful podcast. Is there anything
0: more on brand than us randomly bringing up Purdue? I think that's probably the most on brand thing that we can do.
1: I mean, listen, IU sucks, okay? I cannot say it enough. We just keep seeing it every year, and it seems like people don't agree with me. But it's it's clear, so I have to keep bringing it up. And I'm sorry to the IU fans out there, but it's not going to stop. You're not sorry. You're not sorry. Just, oh, I'm just not, say that. I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm very I'm very happy. I have a big smile on my face, and it's not going away anytime soon.
0: <laughs> oh man, this is why this is why Dylan Hughes is the best because he just openly admits that he hates. <laughs> the fucking Hoosiers um, and on that note that's a wonderful note to close it on thank you so much for listening and Dylan thank you so much for joining me again